and welcome back to the episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm going to my good buddy, Ethan Huffman. Now, Ethan, how you been? What are you up to? I'm doing very well. Got to experience a little bit of top golf as things are slowly opening back up. Of course, there was some saran wrap or whatever you call that stuff, plastic dividers in, in between every bay. But I was out there just smashing some golf balls, looking like a, a true professional on the tracer, as it were. See, I I, I enjoy I, I enjoy top golf, but I feel like top golf would be one of those establishments that I mean, yeah, there's like an indoor portion where you got to go in and like buy your stuff and but like you're outdoors i feel like you shouldn't just be like hey let's everybody wear a mask and come and play top golf and you I mean you know i don't know See, yeah, seems, seems no. like it would have been the move yeah and i'm surprised it didn't open up earlier because it's for, far enough away from portland that they could have got they could have get could get away with this but um no they, they've opened up recently and they, you know it's just they have dividers between the bays and, and then you know you can serve the food and people can take their masks off here and there and you're 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 doing all right. So it's it was a good experience. Like, n- no complaints here. And also, COVID safe. Yeah, I, I, I forgot about the whole food aspect. But, yeah, for sure. Um, I, Man, I wish there was a Top Golf near here. Like, I'm pretty sure that the closest Top Golf here, uh, cl- close to me, is in, like, Las Vegas, which is – it's not close. You would you would have assumed, oh, Southern California, l- large, you know, metropolitan place – would probably have a Top Golf somewhere in Los Angeles or you know wherever. No, one would have one would have been incorrect. So uh, that land's too valuable to put a electronic driving range. I suppose so. Ethan, we watched a basketball game that I believe happened uh, Friday. Friday, right? Ha- happened Friday um, between two teams. I was able to to catch it. Um, and the Jazz and Clippers have been on a, on a tear this year. Uh, you know, the Utah Jazz, best record in the league, 24-6. and six. Um, Although, I guess not going into the game, but now are 24-6. and six. The Clippers, 22-9, and nine, tied with the Lakers for the second best record in the NBA. And, you know, it was an interesting... It was an interesting game we were able to, to catch. I, I think the only injuries that were out, I think Luke Kennard had some knee soreness, so he was out. Um, but other than that, pretty healthy matchup between both of these teams. Yeah, no, for the most part. And, and to be honest, Luke Kennard has been one of the odd, like, kind of low spots of the Clippers. I mean, I know he's he's playing, like, you know, probably to what his standards are, but with the uh, extension that he received this offseason – I think we'd like a little bit more from him, like as a facilitator for their second units. But, you know, he's shooting the percentages as expected. So, like, you can't be too disappointed. But him him, him missing this game and, like, removing one of the scabs to pick at, so to speak, I think actually probably didn't, like, didn't make that big of a difference in the, the results. Well, the issue, I think, with Luke Kennard, and Luke's played – uh, you know, he's played most of the games, but he has, uh, his issue is I, he hasn't gotten comfortable at, like at least the level of comfort that he's playing with Detroit. But I mean, the stakes are risen for him, right? He's playing in a situation where this is a team contending for a title. And you mentioned like, you know, yeah, he's shooting 44% from three point range, right? 48, 49% uh, from two. 
but he's just not getting the number of attempts up that you would like to see. He's not able, he's not having the ball in his hands um, and kind of using it like you would see him run the offense sometimes uh, as a secondary ball handler or, or in lineups where just we had him and Blake as our, as the guys with the responsibility of the ball. It's, it, it's been it's been tough, and, and you've seen that his overall usage this year is down from all of his years in Detroit. And obviously, the people you play with, that matters. But I don't know. I, I wonder if him and Lou Will are a little bit duplicative, and it's it's tough for him to kind of get get a feel. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think that has a lot to do with it. Also, like, you have really good players. Lou Kennard is not as needed in that role as – he is on a lesser team. You know, if you insert him on X team five through, you know, 10 seed, he's probably going to do more of the things he'd found his, his, uh, his niche in uh, Detroit, but there's a really good Clippers team with a lot of playmakers, a lot of, a lot of skilled offensive guys. And he's honestly just probably not as good at those things as these other guys. But that's not what we came here to talk about for the most part. No, it's not. No, it's not. We came to talk I about do the it. people who played in the game. Right. One, one, one last thing, because, you know, uh, P- P- Pistons, Pistons pod uh, is, is what part of this is. Uh, but the it, with Luke Kennard, one thing that it that him being with, like, even if the Clippers don't make a move the rest of the season, they with him, with Lou Williams and with everyone being kind of duplicative, they can run basically the same thing. Like if someone gets injured. You know, in the front court, like let's say Batum goes down, guess what? You got Marcus Morris, right? Or vice versa, right? You're not. If Lou Williams goes down or if Luke Kennard goes down, you know, you've got the other to kind of play that same game. And and so overall, even though this team has been has had some some injury uh, woes, uh, just you know a, a few, I think um, it's. They've been able to with withstand it. They've been able to withstand any of those um, any any of the of the times where people have missed games because of uh, because of this. Yep. Anyway, let's get into some of this play by play stuff, Richard. Sure. So so then we can focus on the big picture later. Um, it's your notes. I have comments around it, but let's go ahead. You 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 decipher the code here, and let's get this <laughs> thing rolling. Okay, so first quarter, um, just so we know, starters for the Clippers, Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi, Batum, and Ibaka, and Conley, Mitchell, O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Gobert. What was interesting to me was, again, the the thing I was focusing on to begin with was especially Gobert. That was, I, I was trying to see how he was used um, offensively, how they decide, how, how the Clippers decided to defend what the, uh, what the Jazz were doing defensively. And what was interesting is, as you were going through this first quarter with these guys here, basically on the offensive end, Ibaka would you know be setting some screens and it would be pick and pops for Ibaka. And the way that the Jazz would handle that is you know similar to how you know you would expect. Gobert would kind of be in in a drop. Now sometimes he was a little bit more aggressive, not just retreating immediately, but he was essentially dropping back, dropping back, and they would you know kick it back to. Um, you know, let's say it was Kawhi, right? He would go and kick it back to Ibaka, and the Jazz were were fine living with a late contest from Gobert on Ibaka. They would rather that than allow 
Kawhi a lane with an advantage to the rim. And so that that was the first thing that I was trying to see. Like, how do they defend that? Um, but that was the only type of pick and roll coverage where we were seeing someone drop. All of, I think the rest of the way, you saw the Jazz would not just easily give it up, but they would they would find themselves switching on ball screens. Like uh, Paul Paul George would find himself, um, you know, they, I think they did a, a, a two four um, a ball screen with Batum, uh, and Paul George rose up over Ingles, sorry, over over Bogdanovich and knocked knocked down the shot. Right, they were switching those, uh, dropping whenever it was Gobert, and it was just interesting to see. Um, that approach and on the other end the Clippers basically were doing the exact same thing with Ibaka having him drop down whenever they had a big man in there they were playing that that drop coverage yeah so the biggest difference there is obviously Ibaka's ability to spread the floor Arkeish currently shooting 36.6 percent from three very solid percentage for your big man if he's your worst uh, shooting player in almost every lineup you would run out that's that's very solid Um, something I was thinking about as you were you know uh, describing the play so well it reminds me of something that the nuggets do so well is if you drop against the nuggets and leave Jokic for three he has the ability to bury that three just like a baka maybe at an even better percentage this year i haven't checked but more or less the next action to run off that is is you, ha- you have the ball handler kick it back you know he's at the top of the three he's he, he can take that shot if that big man does not feel great about it, but he, he's still a threat if the guy's dropped you call for the opposite side dribble handoff for, you know, Paul George or in, in the Nuggets case, like a Gary Harris to do a dribble handoff for a three. And then that's going to be open. If you don't want to do a dribble handoff, you're still going to have the big man with plenty of space to operate. Like there's so many options when it, when you defensively elect to drop, um, if that big guy has some passing ability, ability to put a couple dribbles down and make a play, it really puts you in quite the quandary. If, um, if there's enough other talent to shoot off that dribble handoff or if the big man can actually, you know, find another passing lane. You know, it, it, it's hundred percent. And sometimes they, you know, you might have that initial ball screen just to set up intentionally, intentionally, like you're talking about that dribble handoff from someone else on the other wing, right? Let's say that that person was like a Lou Williams or you know, a Luke Kennard. If, if he was playing right, then you could initially, you could immediately go into something like that. Those guys are people who could, take the hand off immediately and get, get the shot up quickly. You're recovering and that's putting yourself in a little bit of a difficult spot. Gobert did have basically a foot in the paint at all times. He is so big that he can kind of somewhat challenge that initial ball screen immediately rising up into the shot. If it's not against someone like Dame where that ball screen is set much higher um, then you know, He's able to be in pretty good position and and defend that most of the time. I was impressed with with their approach at least in this game. Yeah, I think Gobert's willingness to get up there and like it's not it's not a full tag, like not a full hedge, but his mm-hmm. ability to to get out to where like all right, you have to pull this dif- difficult like mo- moving three pointer, or you have to try to drive on me. Where now if you come at me, I am far enough back that I still eat up the space to where I'm with you all the way to the rim, or you have to choose more more difficult three-point attempt or two hard dribbles and stop on a dime and try to rise up in the mid-range, which is the shot they would always love you to take. So I, I really do agree. I, I think uh, Rudy Gobert has been much better 
um, in space this year. Like he's still on, on an island. It still makes you a little nervous, but like his ability to, I think, play. And I, 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 I don't know who to credit here because it's it's different. Um, but his ability to kind of pick that like perfect mesh point of going out and helping, but also being able to recover um, has been really good when people have tried to isolate him. Yeah, I um, there was one. I think it was basically just one play where he got on an island against Paul George, and he like let's say that that possession or that that um, time that Paul George had him on island was like for like seven seconds. Like for the first five seconds of that, Gobert was doing a really good job. He kind of had him in the corner. Then you know going back and forth, and he could begin to see it breaking down. But it, it ended up being uh, Paul George. Mid-range too, um, which let me just say the Clippers are one of the best teams. I mean, just they have the players to just hit those shots, and they did in this game. Um, but he, he ended up missing that one. But overall, they found themselves not getting too much into those positions uh, in in this game. When I think about that island of Gobert and how, you know, he'll get ridiculed for, like, if he gets roasted any time. Like, I think the biggest memory is Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert just getting circles, turning around in circles with Stephen Curry, right? Like, that's what, that's the that's the memory that has everyone saying that Gobert can't do this at all. Um, I remember a play earlier this year where Luka Doncic had Bam in isolation for a full 10 seconds, and Bam did great for nine, <laughs> but eventually yeah. went for the fake and it was an easy layup and for Luca. And I think that's just something to remember. Um, even a great defender, like for every position, like bam, um, if the, if that ticker just keeps going and the shot clock doesn't meet, meet, meet it before it's, a, it's end. It's a great offensive player. You, if you make a mistake, it's over then. And it's just make or miss. Right. Right. So yeah, go overall, go better. A pretty good job on that. Um, I'm going to fire it to, to you, Ethan. What was something that you noticed uh, in, in, in the early go- uh, going of this game? Well, I think the thing that, that tr- kind of had me triggered is I felt like the I felt like the Clippers really dictated the, the Jazz's rotation more than any other team has previously. We talked about this little pre-pod that Royce O'Neal was the Kawhi Leonard assignment, and that was exclusive. And while I don't think that's a horrible plan i i i would like to almost have that one just in the bag you know in theory like let's let's just hold off i i think right especially i think i can't remember if this is their first regular season meeting or not but i would have liked to seen the jazz try to try to play their game for regular season game number 29 versus um kind of conforming their rotation to to slow down one player I, I personally just think the rotations were a little bit off compared to what I've seen in the past with, you know, a lot of uh, staggering, like specific players carrying certain lineups, you know, Mitchell and Gobert, Ingles and Favors, like those guys as pri- some primary initiators and, and role man. I would have liked to seen them stay a little bit more true to form. And I felt like, I felt like the whole O'Neal on Kawhi really threw off their rotation and I think some of their cohesiveness as the units have been dominating for the last 21 games. I agree. It was interesting. They found themselves in defensive situations where it was just a tough matchup. And they were trying to avoid, 
they were trying to avoid a lot of things that that really ended up not getting avoided. I, I would it, with someone like Kawhi. Kawhi is so strong, and like if you if you see how Kawhi handled this game, like yeah, he he was made to work by O'Neal, but I, I don't know. I feel like O'Neal would probably do a better job on someone like Paul George. I could be wrong there, but I feel like with, with um, you know Paul George isn't as strong, and, and O'Neal was really made to feel that the whole the whole time he was guarding him, and it really didn't matter. That was the thing that I noticed. Like it really didn't matter that O'Neal was covering Kawhi. Kawhi was able to get to wherever he wanted to get to, and so um, uh, uh, I uh, I don't know. I I think that. I think it would be better if we just was like, okay, it's okay that Bogdan or or um, Ingles is is on Kawhi, and I would I would just be comfortable any any way that we did it. Yeah, I I remember distinctively a Pacers Cavaliers series where Boyan Bogdanovich did a very credible job on LeBron James, like he was able to stick with him pretty solidly. Like obviously LeBron got his. I, I don't think I don't think that Bojan matchup is is necessarily a losing game against Kawhi. Obviously Kawhi is going to get his here like at probably at a rate slightly higher than Royce O'Neal, but I wonder if Royce O'Neal tr- like really trying to manage Paul George tracks better than I guess everyone kind of collectively failing on both. I don't know. It's just it's just my thought is that I I've seen Bojan guard a guy who's really strong. Um, and honestly, doesn't have the same explosive like two two dribbles and rise at the rim like LeBron does. I don't know. I just I personally think that matchup could have been flipped and they might have found some more success. Hard hard to nitpick a team that's got five losses on the season, but that's what 100%. we're doing. But I mean, if, if, a part of this is thinking about the long term, and I, ugh, I, the, I worry about. It, it feels like the Jazz need. And I, th- I think I saw um, a Nikias Duncan tweet about this earlier on in the season. He was talking about the Jazz and and things that they might need long term. And and he was like, you know, the Jazz need someone who is um, who's like a bigger wing defender, um, a, a larger wing defender. Obviously, someone who who can bring something offensively uh, as well. You don't you don't want that person to be a, a complete negative. And someone else, like, you know, uh, replied, was like, would Royce O'Neal work if Royce O'Neal had, like, you know, if there was, like, a clone of Royce O'Neal that was six foot nine? He's like, yeah, that would work. Uh, but they don't have that type of a player, and they don't really have an avenue to go out and get that type of a player. If I'm thinking about the Jazz long term, that's the thing that I'm most concerned about with these LeBron James matchups, with the with the matchup with the Clippers in the postseason, it's that they don't have another one of those guys. And if Bog, sorry, if Boyan can be that guy, then then cool. If he can be that defender who can in the playoffs be that body, um, then then I will feel more comfortable. It's just we didn't feel like we trusted him on someone like Kawhi, and I would like to see him guard Kawhi a little bit more than than um, O'Neal did. So this is this is my solution, and it's it, it, 
it, you can't do anything about it now. <laughs> but instead of even though I like Elijah Hughes as a draft pick, he didn't he didn't have that positive wingspan like Robert Woodard who who went a pick later. Now Robert Woodard also is not like he's not that six nine, but he positive wingspan six six man. Um, I think would have been the correct pick there. And I, I honestly am still sad that the Kings uh, Kings don't play that man because um, I have I have a little bit of stock that I'd like to see some return on investment. Um, but I mean, all, all that is fine. You're not you're not playing Robert Woodard in the a, they're, as they're a, playing a George cog, Niang. <laughs> right. But George Niang is not a rookie. You know, he's, he's not a rookie with with no real offseason to 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 get used to everything like. We're ta- we're talking about the if we're if we're at this point like the conference finals this type of a matchup and I'm sorry I would like I would like to have someone a little more seasoned um, and, and someone who like I cool cool long term but at, at, at the moment come on Richard we only have we only have so much more time to flex our 2020 draft knowledge like I, I, I had to i had to pull the no, pull the punches we got, we're gonna have a pod at some point talking about and revisiting that uh that draft it's gonna happen at some point but moving forward um i want to talk about a few more things that were interesting to me in this game one of the things and maybe you can help me out with this because again i it hasn't really been until this year that i have watched um the jazz in as much depth as i did um, seeing how they how they operated in this game, it, it, you know, I've watched Jazz games, but hasn't been with paying attention to as much detail as as I have now. And seeing the way that Gobert is used uh, was really interesting to me because he was he operated nearly the entire game out of the high post top of the key area. Um, that is that's where he operated, and what would happen is they would use him. Not as like in a way that Bam is used, but like they would not be afraid of getting him the ball, having him swing it, have him uh, do some handoffs, have him uh, you know pitch it back to some players. Where obviously you know Bam has a little more ability to not just pitch it along the perimeter, but also pitch it for some backdoor cuts. I don't think you're seeing Gobert do right. Uh, those are the things you see go um, you know Jokic or or even on a much lesser version, but just, it still happens, but it causes more turnovers, Mason Plumlee. Like, but he, the, with the comfort level that he was operating up there to, to run those pitches, run the dribble handoffs, and as a pick-and-roll screener up there, his job is to just operate up there, and, and when the Jazz get the person that they want to attack on the dribble handoff or on the screen, then it's, we're rolling as hard as we possibly can to the bucket, and... We're doing it with enough spacing that you've got to make some tough decisions. And it was uh, watching him operate in that. It, it's it, it just shows if the Jazz are able to hit shots on the perimeter, which they are one of the best. They're one of the best teams right now. They are getting up. They got the most made three pointers, um, I believe, in uh, in the league. And they, they, they take the second most uh, per um, per game, and they're making the, the fourth highest three-point percentage. They, you know, they're, if you're able to do that, then you've got so much spacing, and that that offense that they're running is is really difficult to stop. 
underrated part of his um, high post actions is that he there's no ball pressure on Gobert when he catches it there. Because what's he going to do? He's not going to shoot. He's not a two dribble and, you know, dunk on you. He's not even a two, like one dribble hard at you, put you on his hip and post you up. So we talk about, you know, Nikola Jokic, Bam, um, Mason Plumway on the lower end um, as a guy, guys who can pass from it. But for, for what's worth, all those guys, there's ball pressure when they catch it there because of their history of like even Mason Plumley putting two dribbles down and dunking. Like that's something that he does. And so I think you'd see, say the same thing about Nurkic. Nurkic will shoot that little mid-ranger, and also he's a guy who gets will put you if, – if you give him that space, he'll eat it up and put you in the post. And with, with that not happening for Gobert, that passing lane stays a little bit more open. So I do think he has the capacity to throw some backdoor stuff, but it's it's so much easier because there's that no, no, none of that ball pressure. And then on top of that, th- they're setting off ball screens to open up the shooter or back – easy back door so like i i I just don't want to underrate like gobert's passing ability while with the caveat of saying you know there's no ball pressure well i mean let me just say this they're they're in within the um uh at the end of the first quarter um there was i believe the lineups out there if i didn't miss something was lou williams terrence man Kawhi, morris and zubach and so zubach obviously on gobert he's historically kind of playing in a little bit of the drop, but in this case, I think he found himself out a little too high on a, they worked around a little bit and, and maybe they had gotten a switch. I'm, I'm not totally try, trying to remember how, how this worked, but uh, basically Gobert pit, pitched it back to Ingles and whoever was guarding Gobert was concerned enough about Ingles taking that shot that they showed a little bit too much. Ingles had a beautiful pocket pass to a rolling Gobert who took it one bounce, kicked it to the corner to Clarkson, right? So kind of on a short roll here, kicking it to out to the three, Clarkson just missed it. But it's one of those things where you see Draymond Green make that play all the time. And we're like, wow, Draymond, what a passer. Well, you know, Gobert had that in his bag as well. It's just the problem is Draymond, well, someone like Draymond could take it and not just do one bounce, but like take a couple bounces and – you know, probe a little more and even handle the ball out. Gobert's not doing that. And a couple of times when he got to that, like that second dribble in some of those situations, if he got the pass a little too far out, someone was able to poke the ball away from him. He lost it or something, something of that nature. But he, I mean, that play alone just shows some of his passing ability and his ability to to know where people are. And he understands the offense well. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. He's, he's an advantage passer. He's not, he's not going to like get out here and, and shape and move the defense and create the passing lane. But when it presents itself, he's more than capable of throwing an accurate pass. Yeah. Which is all you can ask for. Cause there's plenty of guys. I, I mean, I can't remember who, what game I was watching. I, I, it was the Kings heat game. And it was like, I think Jeffries, I can't remember what his first name is right now. I think it's Daquan Jeffries. Daquan Jeffries. Yeah. Yeah, and he he tried to he got he got like a step on Bam and was like trying to throw like a hook pass to the corner and threw it like a uh, thirty three degree angle out of bounds like nowhere close to the guy not tipped just the hook and release and thirty three degrees offline and it was just funny it's 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 you just need to remember when you see Nikola Jokic do that and you see you know these really good guards do that it's it's very tough it's incredible that they can do it at all because there, there's there's the mere mortal trying to do a cool play and absolutely failed yeah um 
So one other thing that you mentioned that I just want to kind of bring out here is, again, we saw a lot of weird rotations and lineups that led to a lot of led to a lot of cross-matching defensively. Uh, because when, when we ended up seeing, uh, let's say in the middle of the second quarter, this is just one that um, I'll point out here. We, we went with Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, O'Neal, um, Bogdanovich, and Favors were out there. On the other side, we had Jackson, Pat Beverly, uh, Kawhi, Morris, Nabaka, right? And in other times when Lou Williams is out there, a similar thing took place. So uh, basically, that whole little three-minute stint from about 6.20 to about three minutes, Clarkson just decided it's my time. And he went and just attacked Reggie Jackson over and over um, and I think that built up his confidence because somehow uh, Kawhi got switched on to Clarkson and Clarkson went and buried a step back three. So like, but what you found was a lot of um, it, you, you found a lot of times where Jackson or Lou Williams weren't actually the primary defender on a Clarkson. They were, they would be, placed on O'Neal. And one of the things that the Jazz have done well is if they know they want to attack somebody, um, usually they get placed on O'Neal because O'Neal is just standing there on the corner, right? He's not really doing tons, but that's when they will end up using O'Neal as a screener, knowing we're going to get the switch if we're, if we, if we play it right. And then you do, and then you got your man on an Island. The Clippers did the same thing. Uh, you'd find that, uh, Jackson was used primarily as a screener in those situations when he was out there. And the goal of Jackson was to let's go ahead and maybe get O'Neal off of Kawhi. If, if we can, if we can do that or um, off of a Paul George and they were really successful in getting the matchups and, and switches that they wanted to, especially with a, a team like the Clippers who, who are very ISO heavy. It just turned into a very ISO heavy matchup whenever those guys were out there on the floor um, because, hey, let's go ahead and attack Clarkson. Let's go ahead and attack Jackson. Let's go ahead and attack Lou Williams. Um, and it, But the interesting thing is they would always have to go and get that switch just because they're hiding. Um, you know, they're hiding those bad defenders trying to. But it's just tough. Like, if you're going to hide those defenders on there, do you – do I really want – like, does it make sense to hide them on a defender just to go ahead and, and get switched and, and get the other team in kind of an advantage pick and roll situation? I don't know. I was that was that was going through my mind. I don't. Know, I I think that's interesting, right? Because if if people are hunting out the switch and hunting out the bad defender, sometimes I don't know. In, in a lot of ways, I wonder if those bad defenders are better off starting on ball where they can that's, just pressure. Yeah. They can just pressure and pressure, and Versus then they have to, like, if you're a bad defender, you're usually not just, uh, oh, but he communicates so well with his teammates that it, he can, you know, su su uh, su survive. Um, if you're a bad defender, like, like I think about Zach Levine specifically. Zach Levine's a bad defender. But by far his best trait as a defensive player is, hey, Zach Levine, guard this guy who has the ball. Because everyone knows how to guard the ball a little bit. And if you're a good athlete, you can keep up with people for the most part. It's when you have to, you know, go through the actions. You know, someone sets a down screen on you off ball, and then you're switching. And then you also have to uh, hedge 
once uh, he throws it over, and then he sets the screen. Like, it's all those actions that really will throw off the really bad defenders. And so, that's, it's kind of a basketball theory question. You think about it, um, back like, go, go back in time a little bit, and y- you would see, you know, people just guarded their position, right? And it wasn't as much of a pick-the-scab type of uh, lifestyle back then, because... Th- it was hard. You, no one switched. It was just you guard your man, and then by the end of the game, you played good defensive players. I, I wonder if the way around this is that, like, if you, you hopefully in the re- most part of the game, just say, "Hey, let them go ISO. If they want to go ISO, we have the help help big here to go for it." Especially if you're a team like the uh, Jazz with Gobert, let Clarkson guard the good player straight up, and if he gets a step, you have Gobert there. Like, I, I wonder if the like avoiding the multiple actions for bad defenders might be a better, better philosophy. One other option that's available. If you do want to keep him on like a bad matchup and then they use the Reggie Jackson as a screener. Uh, and maybe this works better if you're a team like the Clippers and you're trying to hide a Lou will or a Reggie Jackson. So maybe you should think about it in that regard, but like, let's say that you're comfortable with Morris uh, or Batum being the defender on that person, which you might not be, because you know, maybe it's a Dame Lillard, maybe it's a Donovan Mitchell in this case or something like that. But um, like you can always kind of do a – you see the man going, you can kind of pre-switch it um, and and just kind of direct. But then you're sending – you might waste an extra couple of seconds because then that guy can just come and set the screen afterward. But there's a few different options that you might be able to do, but what it speaks to the most to me is that these are the guys come playoff time that are tough to have out there. And here, here's one situation where it ended up happening. So near the end of the game, we're in the fourth quarter, um, kind of in the middle of the fourth and Mitchell settled for a long three early in the clock. It was one of those ones where it's like, uh, that's probably not the best because it led to a leak out in transition. Because Mitchell took it, he had to go and stick with Pat Beverly out in the corner. Now, Pat Beverly was the matchup that Jordan Clarkson had initially uh, been on. Again, a lot of cross-matching in this, but especially with a long miss three where the other team gets gets the board and can push it in transition, starting from, like, starting, getting a head start already. Clarkson had to get matched up um, with... Uh, Paul George, I believe. And they basically said, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and do a pick and pop three for uh, Marcus Morris, getting Clarkson, in, you know, taking advantage of him in that action. And in doing so, they were able to find an open three. Like O'Neal was, was one pass away. If they did a full rotation, he would have done that, but he would have had to leave Kawhi. And that wasn't something that they were willing to deal with because it would have ended up, you would have had, Kawhi either open for a minute, you would have had to have Mitchell fully rotate onto Kawhi, and maybe you didn't want that matchup either. So right after that possession, they they, they took Clarkson out of there because they didn't want to have to deal with that, and and it was Conley the rest of the way where, you know, they did try to have, I think, probably their best defensive lineup, um, the, the, the Jazz, that is. But that's the tough part. And when I think about the closing unit for the Clippers, this was the thing that was the most interesting me and most interesting to me in the game. Closing lineup, 
small ball, basically. Pat Beverly's out there. You also have um, uh, Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Batum, right? Their most switchable lineup, which ended up really foiling the attempts for the Jazz, making them kind of settle for more difficult shots. They weren't able to take advantage of Rudy Gobert, which is what you need to be able to do if you're the Jazz having your, I think basically their starters out there um, that from, from, from that point forward. And man, they, they didn't, the Jazz put Gobert on Pat Beverly. That was kind of the matchup, you know, kind of the uh, Tony Allen approach. Here's the problem though. Pat Beverly is shooting for like 45% from three this year. And th- this is the tough part about this Clippers team as opposed to last year's Clippers team. They're so deep. Um, and uh, Patrick Beverly is making threes. Maybe that doesn't sustain throughout the course of the year because we think of Patrick Beverly as a, as a non-shooter or just a, an average shooter. But he's shooting 45%. That's a problem. I mean, for his career, he's shooting 38. Like, I think, I think the bad shooter Patrick Beverly's been gone for a couple of years. I mean, the yeah, last, but, but 45% like, last, the last, is... oh, I mean, 45 percent is is incredible. But like, I guess at the end of games, you could say 38 percent. That could be the worst, lowest percentage on the court. Um, 45 is a laser, and that I don't, I don't anticipate that to stay for the entire entirety of the season. But um, like, he, he's definitely even. Even at 38 for his career, that's not the guy. Like he's not a guy you just leave. Like, no, I don't think that's accurate. No, and I initially, as in the middle of watching it, I was thinking to myself, like, why are you having? Because Patrick Beverly knocked down two threes uh, um, in in that last stint. Uh, he it, and I was like, you know, all of this is because they, the Jazz, want to keep Gobert close enough to the rim to deter rim shots and. So what they would do is they would just basically do a pick and roll um, uh, with the corner filled with Patrick Beverly. And it would be Kawhi saying, hey, are you going to help off the corner? Are you going to basically open up a wide open shot? And the answer was yes. I was thinking to myself, you know what? I wonder what would happen if they put, because uh, I knew Patrick Beverly was hitting more of his threes this year than uh, historically he had. And I'm like, well, I wonder if Batum, would be a better person for him to be on. But Toom's also shooting 45% from three. That's that's the sneaky part with this with this small ball lineup. The worst uh, th- three-point shooter on this team in, in that in that final closing lineup is Kawhi Leonard at uh, what 37 37%, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 37%. Right? You got Batum at 45. You got Marcus Morris at 50. On seven attempts from three, right? Like, Scary you got stuff. Patrick Beverly, 45 from six attempts from three. You know, Batum, five and a half, 45. Like, so, like, sorry, Paul, Paul George, 47% on eight attempts. It's like, you, there's nowhere to hide for Gobert in that closing lineup. And that's the thing where if on the other side of the floor, if you're not able to take advantage of that offensively, then that's a problem. If you're not able to get defensive rebounds off of the first shots when you've got Gobert in there, which they didn't. They had like three killer offensive rebounds. Kawhi with two of them in the last minute. And after Patrick uh, Patrick Beverly missed three, the problem is 
Gobert's on a late close. He's now out of position to get the rebound. They get the offensive board, and by the time Gobert recovers, they're kicking it back out to Beverly. He knocks in another three. So, like, that's the problem at the end with Gobert. He's the defensive player of the year right now. He's phenomenally good, but against a team like this, or against, we're thinking Lakers long-term, that's the difficulty that you have. Now, with the Lakers, there's probably easier places to hide him, but you kind of want him on Anthony Davis, I would assume. Uh, yeah, maybe I would, I'm, maybe I would think so. That, so... So you're not, you're still not able to hide him. You're probably going to be involved in many actions. So like th- that's that's the issue with Gobert. It's not that, again, like you said, I think that we have collectively overblown some of the issues because it's been a Steph Curry or a Dame Lillard. Like I think he can, he showed he can think he can do enough. But it's it's in a situation like this where everybody can shoot. Maybe that's the tough part. Now they did after. In my mind, I was like, well, why don't they, after that second Beverly three, why don't they switch him to Batum? They did. They went on a little bit of a run to finish it off. My thought process is, even though Batum is knocking it down, his shot is going to be a little bit slower than Patrick Beverly, so it gives you a little more time to to contest. But at the same, you're having similar issues. And I don't know if you're able, I, I'm, not, I'm unsure. What, what are your thoughts on that at, at the end of games? With that many good shooters, it's really impossible, especially if they don't bail us out with have well, us out, uh, bail the Jazz out um, by having a Baca out there. Like more or less, Gobert's got to. I know he's shooting thirty six percent, but Gobert's got to be. It's honestly got to be Gobert being dominant on offense, catching, getting, just getting infinite lobs to to force them to play a Baca, so he has somewhere that can respect he can respectfully close out a little slower. I think that's the solution. The offense has to drive the other team's matchup and you have to hope that they don't make enough threes to say it's not worth it. Cause at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to guard that with Gobert. You're not. It's yeah. a make or miss league and they're pro- and based on the percentages. They're going to make enough to, to run, run it off. Cause if they're making every other three, you are still losing that game. Even if you dunk every time. Yeah. It, and that's it, not really it's... fair, but it's what's happening. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough part because it, beautiful by by the Clippers coaches in setting this up down the stretch. What they did was they they essentially put Kawhi in the natural helper spot. Um, on you know at that point you're having like O'Neal. I think it was on O'Neal. O'Neal's in the corner, and so on any Gobert role you had either Batum or Morris kind of handling that, but you also had Kawhi. As the I'm in help. If you throw this, I might go get it because I'm Kawhi Leonard, and and so it made those difficult. Um, it, it, Gobert tried to establish because if Gobert can establish deep position on Marcus Morris, it's over. Like he's he's just gonna dunk it, uh, probably even an and one. But he if, if you're in that situation, the the refs are gonna be favoring the smaller guy, and yeah, that's kind of what happened. Like he established position. He gave a little shove, which you could do if it's a big guy. They're not going to call it. But on Marcus Morris, who's going to be flopping, they're going to call a foul. And they did. And so they couldn't take advantage on the offensive end. It basically was just difficult shot after difficult shot by um, uh, Donovan Mitchell. 
I think uh, Boyan hit hit a three, and that's how they were able to kind of get back into it. But by that time, they were down a little too much, and um, they couldn't quite com- com- complete the mad comeback, even though it was a really valiant a- a- attempt and effort. Yeah, and I don't want to underrate the the Jazz's ability to close with a lot of shooters either, though. So, like, as much as I'm saying Gobert should be able to dominate and keep everyone running, like, Bojan's shooting 40%, and he's been doing that for his entire life. Uh, Conley's shooting 41. O'Neal's shooting 42 and a half. That's a little bit up from his career average, but, like, he's been getting better every year. I don't think that's fool's gold. And Ingles is shooting 45 or 44.5%. So, you have the ability to close. And then, obviously, Donovan's the main driver, and he's shooting 38.9 right now. Um, Clarkson, like, I think his volume is kind of catching up with him, and his percentage is dropping a little bit. But, end of the day, Richard, I do think their offense should be good enough to, to buoy that that one that one single foible of uh, Gobert's defense. I would hope that they can figure that because at the end of the day, Kawhi's helping down. It's just got to be Royce O'Neal burying the threes. You're matching strength with strength at that point, and it, it just has to happen. It has to be timely shooting, which is the requirement of all basketball everywhere. And while Royce O'Neal's hitting 42, percent let's be honest, he's probably only taking corner threes. Like I, I would like to For see a breakdown part, yeah. where he's taking those threes. I, I'm sure that they're there. So like. It's not as if he is the same as as a forty two percent shooter like some of these other guys that are mentioning like who are obviously the corner is being used by many people but he's he's someone who you are okay leaving and recovering back to like he's not a sniper is what I'll say so uh, it's and he's he's taking you know less less a game less three pointers a game than 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 everyone else who we've been talking about today I, I just it's the issue of uh, he. You need him out there. Like Ingles would be a much more difficult cover because of his ability to put the ball on the floor and attack a closeout. But you also apparently didn't feel comfortable enough with Ingles out there defensively. You really needed Royce O'Neal's defense for whatever reason, and maybe that's the pushback that I would have. Maybe you don't need Royce O'Neal's defense. Um, to that degree is, is that is that wrong to think of me well I don't, I don't know. I, this is this is the the thing i have for you is if you know you have here's the gobert weakness and they're going to be picking at gobert um with how much space he has to give shooters to stay in the in the paint okay well so what's royce o'neill doing other than not letting Kawhi get to mid-rangers right and so the they hit they, they hit difficult like if you look at my uh, at my document, it's like, oh, Marcus Morris hit hit, hit a mid range shot, tough mid range make by Paul George, tough t- tough mid ranger by Kawhi. It's it's like they're gonna make those. Yeah, and I guess like again, with the greater point is if every time they can choose to pick your pick great shooter A, B, C, or D that Gobert can't be guarding right now based on the, the matchup. Well, wouldn't you rather have your great shooter A, B, and C on the line on the court too? So like you have the ability to pick that matchup too, because you have to crash on Gobert or it's two points every time. So they yeah. have to help, and then you have your three great shooters with Mitchell, you know, being the facilitator. I I I think you might have a point there that Royce O'Neal has some diminishing returns when you already know there's a a a wound based on what Gobert's limitations are. 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it's 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 the issue no, that they there's there's no absolute because any given game, Batum can't make a shot or Beverly can't make a shot, right. and or they they play Ibaka down the stretch and he can't shoot, but he's keeping Gobert a little bit more in check. When if Ibaka's out there, I like the O'Neal matchup better because then just make those shots a little bit more difficult. Fair. Um, but if they're going to go super small ball, you have to have the lineup that is best suited to match the maximum offensive output of that t- team. And I think that would be Bojan, Ingles, Conley, Mitchell, and Gobert. Yeah, I, I guess I guess it all comes down to we really need Boyan's defense um, to, be, to, 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 to be at the level it was in that Indiana series against LeBron James. Like, we we need that Boyan defensively. Um, if you can get that, then man, this this Jazz team is is scary. It's just it, once they had once the Clippers got rid of their drop defenders at the end, that was where it became tough. And um, I'm curious to see a Jazz matchup against the Lakers. Obviously, the Lakers are really hampered without Anthony Davis right now, and and so any matchup like that's not going to be telling. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to see kind of how, how that looks going forward. Um, and I don't know, it was a fun, it was, it was, it was a, it was fun to see these two teams go at it, especially thinking about these teams and the Lakers being the primary Western conference contenders. Not that anyone else can't get in there or get in, in that discussion, but these are the teams you have to mention if you're talking about Western conference contenders. Yeah, and I think the Lakers, Lakers have that crazy thing. They have the best player potentially to ever play, and then also Anthony Davis makes it very tough in any given situation. Because Anthony Davis can, if you if you told me, hey, um, we're gonna swap Anthony Davis for Gobert, right? But Anthony Davis has to play exactly like Gobert. You have to drop him, and you can't just switch on people. Like you had to put. You had to put Gobert's limitations, at least in Anthony Davis's mind. Like you would have the exact same defense, defense, right? It would it would be just as good. And but if then if you actually you know obviously you put Anthony Davis in the full flesh, it'd be some it'd be even better. But like, are are, are, we, are we limiting Anthony Davis offensively to where he can only roll and not and yes not... yes okay. no we're we're literally putting. Gobert's limitations in Davis's brain, but all, like the physical limitations for like uh. in those rare moments where they're trying to expedite. Ex- like the point is, Anthony Davis fixes everything too. Like that, that's the greater point. And that's that's why you can't roll out the like as soon as he comes back. You know, hopefully in in full health, um, the Lakers are always going to be a problem because that Anthony Davis guy, that LeBron James guy, really solid. They figure things out. I don't even remember what my greater point was when I went into that comparison, but like I had something there. I'll, I'll remember. I, it. I, I, I was, I'll remember I was it. like Anthony Davis, but with the mental limitations of. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, you're going in a weird direction it's here. Too, too, well, I think the point I was trying to make was like, go bear it. Like you know, it, it's it's this point right here. Everyone's well, you know, go bear's defensive player of the year. That's sure. That's fair. That's fine. He's not the best defensive player in basketball, though. He's not. It's Anthony Davis, and I would, you know, maybe not Ben Simmons just because of the the whole you can build an entire defense off of draft bigs, apparently still. But it's, it's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is the best defender in basketball. 
It, does he show up every game for it? Not necessarily. He's he's super duper star status at this point. They don't do that all the time. But the, the greater point is like everyone who wants to say Rudy Gobert is the end all be all for great defense everywhere. It's not the case. We just laid out all these reasons for why. And if you could if you would sub theoretically Anthony Davis into the Jazz right now, the Jazz would be the most terrifying team assembled like currently. I don't know how you would beat that team right now based on all the shooting they have and then the defensive versatility of their big man. It'd be a crazy, it'd be a crazy situation. And Anthony Davis, you know, get back buddy. Cause I want to watch you play. I know I'm so happy you were out in theory against the heat this last uh, Saturday, but Oh, I, I need you back, man. I enjoy watching you play too much. And yeah. What, what's tough against with, with this Rudy Gobert situation is against, 95% of the league, he's phenomenal. The problem is in the in these 5% and again, in 95% of the game, phenomenal. What's tough is that 5%, if you've not already amassed a big lead and you know you're playing you know from in front, like it's it's the tough part there, and, and that, that that's what's difficult. Can I say a couple more things that I was interested in just watching from watching this game? Continue. Um, on on misses um, is where I saw it the most. Not that it can't happen anywhere else, but I, I saw it on some misses, misses as they were kind of pushing in semi-transition um, with the way the Jazz would kind of set things up. I'm sure they got some rules for how they do this, but you would end up seeing a... Uh, basically a, a double drag screen for Mitchell. Mitchell coming up on one side, and then you, you'd see it was generally like uh, Gobert and Ingles, Gobert and Bogdanovich, whatever, and you know he'd use both those screens. Gobert's rolling, and Bogdanovich or Ingles are kind of popping out into space, and that led to some beautiful wide open alley oops, some beautiful pitches and um, you know pa- passbacks to. Uh, for, for, for three um, or Mitchell taking it to the hoop or, or running some mid range. Like I really enjoyed seeing them run that. And that was, that was fun. It was, it was, it was, it was really fun. Ha- having, having Gobert, I think is what makes it the most fun because of that incredible lob threat. And, but just very difficult to stop. Yeah. Ha- having a team with like, with Donovan Mitchell as an engine and like his, like, I mean, we we all saw the Patrick Beverly not not having his feet ready to be moving. Oh yeah, he, like <laughs> the team out of position. Uh, like that 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 dunking ability. Um, that can can it, you you won't see it for like so long, but you, you can even see it on his his uh his like stop on a dime and rise up for threes. His bounce is so much so much entertainment. That dunk was great. Like. And I love that Patrick Beverly, like, you know, people sleep on Patrick Beverly because he's, he's annoying. Um, but like his, his, his MO on, in the league is I'm, I'm a great defensive player. And then watch him just like, not, not be, not be there for a play. It kind of cracked me up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, on ball it's, he's trying to get up onto someone, even off ball in those situations. Like you could see he was tasked with, you're just going to deny Donovan Mitchell today. Um, you're going to, in certain situations, you're just going to get up in his face, make him smell your breath, um, make make life difficult on it. Like, but 
in that moment, it's like he got his feet crossed, wasn't quite paying attention, and Batum was out there just not. You could you could see afterward, like Kawhi was looking at Batum and pointing, like, "Why are you not at the rim to meet him?" And maybe Batum was just making a business decision. But... For who? For what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, so he can get three points this possession. What's the point? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's but Batum is not going to be the deterrent there in the way that he needs to be. And you're going to open up like Bogdanovich for a th- open three. So it's only um it's only Abaka and uh, Kawhi's middle finger that are the rim protectors of this team. Oh man. Oh man. Oh, one other thing. Sorry, it just got, I got reminded of Zubach because you're thinking like Rupert like ah oh, poor Zubach and then oh wait I remembered some times where he got exposed. Um, in, well, he's a big man, but he's not very vertical. No. And again, him and Ibaka both playing that drop, but Zubach as he's dropping, what they would do is they would do a late paint switch um, with whoever the defender was that was guarding Mitchell, where, where they would uh, whoever it was Mitchell or Ingles someone. You know, they, they would do a drop and have the defender go over and chase, right? Well, they would say, well, since we're going over the top, we really are afraid of this Gobert lob, and we trust Zubach or Ibaka to kind of stay in front and not let Mitchell or Ingles take uh, or get, get to the rim so we'll be okay with them taking a mid-range jumper. Well, so in doing so, Kawhi will wrap around and kind of like get in between and, and make it so that you're not having an uncontested lob to go bare. But now when Ingles and uh, Mitchell recognize this, they just pulled it back. And, and now we've got uh, a late semi trying to come out and contest Zubach. And it, it led to a, an Ingles three and um, a, a wide, wide open mid range shot from, uh, Mitchell when I, when I when I noticed those two and it, it was Zubach is tough in this matchup it, it, he just is the worst of the options if, I don't think you, you to, see him in the playoffs if you have game. to weak side tag the roller it, mm-hmm. and and the guards are paying attention enough and have the vision to see that it, it's literally you're at the mercy of how good that passer that that ball handler is at passing because if you have to tag the roller from the weak side corner, or even if, if for some reason you were to leave the guy above the break, um, depending on where everyone's spread out at, like it's easy passes at that point if they have to come tag the roller, which you do if it's Gobert or it's a dunk. So, yeah, that, that's a good good point by you that you know if Zubac has to get out there and try to guard someone in space, and then they're doing help, help all around, and the Jazz are a good three-point shooting team, fourth best in the league. It's going to be a bad, bad news. Fortunately for the Clippers, they're the best three-point shooting team in the league. Yeah. Well, that that was that was all I had for this one. I guess I guess the last thing, if we want to go here, is just we kind of talked about how the Jazz need kind of a bigger wing, but I don't know how they get there. Maybe it's maybe it's Bogdanovich. So I don't necessarily see a trade avenue for them. They're hard capped as well by spending the full mid-level exception. Um, the Clippers are hard capped as well, but they have more tradable pieces. Yes. The Clippers, I mean, the Clippers is probably like a if we can get a George Hill in here, then we're well, not getting constantly. And we've talked about the potential trades, and maybe, maybe that's a Lou Will for George Hill type of a situation. Um, yeah, I mean that all all that can make a lot of sense. Like the, the really the only tradable piece 
for the Jazz, and it doesn't get you anything of consequence. But it's their first round draft pick, y- uh, Yudoka Azabuke, because he, but he still doesn't make enough money to really get you a no. true contributor. You, yeah, he it's just, a matching salary issue for them. Yeah, no, his his trade would more or less enable you to potentially be in the buyout market if you could trade him like a two for one, you know, trade him out for a s- smaller salary. And then you have a little bit more buyout scratch under the hard cap. That's really your only hope in, in that move, right? And wh- and why do that? I mean, I well, guess yeah, you could, but I mean, you now have if, an extended Gobert for forever. But Yeah, and you, and you have favors for three years. That's basically, uh, as a bouquet's, that's his rookie contract, which he's also not young. So, like that, I just want to point that out as as the option because you got you got to know what the options are. Let me pull up the uh, the Clippers contracts page real quick just so I have the uh, it in front of me because like I want to say that the Lou Williams for George Hill makes the most sense, obviously, but don't rule out um, Zubak potentially being a guy to trade to seven million dollars. Yes, he's great for the regular season. But if they decide that this team needs something that's a little bit more versatile in that position, I haven't checked the marketplace. I know like, switchy bigs are not very re- available, but Zubak's also at $7 million. There's some, if, there's some if options If they think there. they could get someone on the buyout market, then that then that's a possibility. But, um, yeah. I mean, they got Daniel Orturo if, if, if we were talking about 2020 um, draft picks. Um, speaking of which, guys, Zeke Naji has looked all right. I haven't seen him. I heard, I heard that he played pretty well. Um, again, I'm, I'm seeing really... a lot more lateral movement than I was anticipating. He's also not as tall as I thought he was. Let's just take all of those things that we didn't recognize about Zeke Naji and just blame everything on Nico Mannion. Yeah, that's what we'll do.